0: trial of Jesus Christ, one of the instances of Jesus' trial in Matthew 27, there are several passages that speak about the arrest. The trial of Christ was quite a lengthy uh, trial. No one wanted to deal with Jesus in this, and uh, the Jews, in fact, wanted to see Jesus put to death Uh, the uh, fact that they could not physically do that under Roman rule, they had devised a way to push off on the Romans, the fact that if they could get the Romans to find Jesus guilty, they could in fact crucify him and uh, put him to death. And We know this was the ultimate divine plan of God that his son come to die, but we look at it, from the perspective of the Gospel of Matthew here in chapter 27. And I want to begin at verse 11, if I could, Matthew 27, verse 11, and look at this text and talk about this this morning as we consider this passage. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate to him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marvelled greatly. Now all at that feast the governor was now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barnab or excuse me. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them. "'Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ?' For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, "'Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him.' But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus." The governor answered and said unto them, "'Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you?' They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, "'What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ?' They all say unto him, "'Let him be crucified.' And the governor said, "'Why, what evil hath he done?' But they cried out the more, saying, "'Let him be crucified.' When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, But that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have to spend in your word today, we pray and ask that, Lord, you would give us an understanding of your word, that you would bless, Lord, as we consider the uh, fact that Jesus' arrest, his trials, Lord, uh, were in fact divine. That, uh, Father, you had put your son there for the very expli- explicit purpose of dying for our sin. And, Lord, had you not died for our sin, we would have no salvation, we would have no hope. Had you not risen from the dead, Lord, we would have no purpose and no hope of eternal life. And we thank and praise you that because Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead, that we have hope that we have eternal life in you. We thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen. Jesus had committed no crime. In fact, the Jews had accused him of blasphemy. That was the crime that they really tried Jesus for, was the crime of blasphemy. Jesus equating himself to be equal with God. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is God. And Jesus had fulfilled every single prophecy that had been spoken about that was to be fulfilled in Messiah, or the one whom God had appointed to be the anointed of himself, Christ is what uh, we're looking at here. And notice even uh, Pilate recognized the fact that the one who calls himself Christ, and this was the accusation that Jesus is God. And it was a true accusation, but the Jews wanted to put Jesus to death. In fact, today, Orthodox Jews do not believe, the unbelieving Orthodox Jew does not believe Jesus is God, that he's Messiah. They're looking for Messiah to come. I've spoken to many Orthodox Jews, and as I've met them in my life, uh, they will tell you, yes, they believe Jesus was a real character who walked the face of the earth. They believe that uh, he was a real person, that yes, he did signs and wonders. They will not admit that those signs and wonders were of God. They will not admit that what Jesus did uh, was, in fact, fulfill prophecy as Messiah. But they look for Messiah to come. And I have tried to convince them out of the scriptures and looking back to the book of Isaiah, even going all the way back into the uh, law of Moses, of one who was uh, appointed a prophet that would come that would be greater than even Moses himself and to try to reason with them that that is Jesus. They will not listen many times, but all you can pray is that God would plant a little seed in their heart of a hope of the fact that they would see for themselves that, uh, that Jesus is God and He is the only Savior of the world. And so the Jews sought to put Jesus to death. The order of events leading up to the crucifixion are before us here in Matthew chapter 27, but they are uh, much earlier than that. We see in Matthew 26 verses 47 to 56, the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. In fact, Judas Iscariot for 30 pieces of silver went out and betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a deceiver. And Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver so that he could be arrested and taken into the hands of uh, his enemies. In Matthew 26, verses 57 to 68, we see there are several trials that begin to unfold when it comes to the trial of Jesus Christ. In fact, he was pushed all over the place. There is the two-part, if you will, ecclesiastical trial. Jesus had to undergo an ecclesiastical trial and a civil trial. And so, in short, these explanations of an ecclesiastical trial would be one before Caiaphas, the high priest, and the other before Pontius Pilate, who was the governor, if you will, of this area of Judea under Roman rule. Now, standing before Annas, then before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin during the night, and before the same body during the daybreak, remember Jesus that night was taken in arrest and had to be given, if you will, a briefing, and that briefing was in fact to accuse him so that the next day they could have a full trial among those uh, Jews in the Sanhedrin, that Jesus would be found guilty under their law of blasphemy. And so knowing that they couldn't single-handedly put Jesus to death and execute Him without the Romans sentencing Him to death, they devised a curious plan of this, that it was in that second or civil trial that he appeared first before Pilate. Now, we're not given that here in in Matthew, but in other gospel accounts, we are told that Jesus appeared before Pilate twice. That Pilate at first sent him off to Herod, wanting nothing to do with this trial whatsoever, but pushed him off onto Herod, and into Herod's court, if you will, to try to have Herod be the one who would try Jesus instead of Pilate himself uh, being the one who would, in fact, have the blood upon his hands, as we see uh, Pilate here washing his hands of the whole thing and trying to put it on the people. So Pilate, in an attempt to rid himself of the ease by sending Jesus to Herod of Galilee, then the cases were turned back to the Roman governor, Pilate here, against his own conscience. And Pilate tries to play it off like many folks do today, as we'll see tries to play it off as just sitting on the fence. I'll just sit on the fence when it comes to Jesus. You you know, I'm not going to say one way or the other uh, about whether Jesus is guilty, whether he's really God or not, whether he claims to be the king of the Jews, or whether he's worthy of death. I'm just going to wash my hands of the whole ordeal and just leave it at that. So against his own conscience, he actually confirms the capital sentence upon Jesus. Here in Matthew chapter 27, and that's what we see before us, is notice that in Jesus standing before Pilate again in chapter 27, verse 11, it says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, "In him thou sayest. Truly, truly. Jesus answers this question because, in fact, he is the king of the Jews. And so in sending Jesus for being found guilty of blasphemy and guilty under Roman law, this civil court here, the Jews said, if we tell them that he is saying he's the king of the Jews, then certainly Rome will execute him because there's one king, that of Caesar only. And so Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, yes, I am the king of the Jews. He is not only the king of the Jews here, he is king and lord. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And so Jesus answers, yes, truly, truly, I am the king of the Jews. Now, notice that as the trial goes on here, the Bible says in verse 12 that the chief priests and elders are accusing him and he answers them nothing. He doesn't even waste his time opening his mouth to them because Uh, Jesus states the fact that, yes, I am the king of the Jews, but he's not being tried for the things that they're throwing at him right here. So Jesus keeps silent. Verse 13 says, Then Pilate said to Him, 'Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? All of the ridicule, all of the criticism. And, And Jesus could have gone back to saying, Hey, I told them I was God come in the flesh that, that Messiah is here, that I am the Christ. How many times do I have to tell them, the leaders of my own people, that I am the Son of God, I am God the Son, and yet they will not listen? And so there comes a time when even Jesus told us in His Word that you can only cast your pearls before swine so many times, and Jesus doesn't do that. Do you know that folks who continually will not listen listen and refuse to hear God's Word... That there comes a time when, and I found this to be true, that there's a time to enter words of wisdom and to speak words of love and kindness to folks. But there comes a time when you just have to say, if you're not going to listen, then I'm going to leave it with you. I'm going to leave you with the truth and you just have to walk away, that doesn't mean that you give up on them. That doesn't mean that you cease to pray for them. That doesn't mean that when they come and say, listen, friend, I'm in dire straits here. I'm in need of something. I want to find hope in this world. I want to find uh, that there is something I can grab onto in this life that's not going to fail me like friends or or like uh, uh, things in the past or like my bank account. Maybe your bank account's going through that right now. I know folks are struggling In many things, but listen to me, there's no hope in the stock market, folks. There's no hope in a bank account. There's no hope in a 401k. There's no hope in those things. Do you know there's no assurance that you and I will have a job tomorrow? I work like you do. And uh, we're working a lot of hours right now, and, and and I'm thankful that other folks are getting those hours. I'm praying, Lord, give me less hours. I just want to work Monday to Friday, work my 40 hours a week and pastor and, and spend more of my time studying your Word and ministering to people. And there are there are a lot of things. There's a funeral this week that I'd like to go to of my friends and, uh, and to support him and his family. I can make the viewing, but I can't go to the funeral. There's been folks in the congregation here. I couldn't do their funeral for them because because I had to be at work. And so I pray, Lord, give me less hours. Give me 40 hours a week and let me do ministry. And so, uh, But I'm thankful for a job. But do you know that I'm not guaranteed of my job tomorrow? Do you know that many folks get a text from their employer? If even that, my daughter under COVID, when it first hit, she found out about it in the news that she was going to be off work before she even heard from her employer. Because they mentioned her company, that they were laying off people, that they were closing down the stores, and that they were going to uh, take some time with the shutdown, and that all the employees found out through the media and the news before they ever heard their employer contact them. Then she got a call, I think it was like three days later, from one of the managers and said, you're not going to be at work this week uh, because we're shut down. She said, I already knew. I saw it on the news. (laughs) Isn't that something? And so we're not guaranteed of these things, but I can guarantee you of one thing, that you'll never, ever be lost without, with Jesus. When you find Jesus, you'll never be lost. If you come to Christ, you'll never find somebody that is unfaithful. You'll never find somebody that will leave you down and out. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for what? Rest unto your souls. Jesus promises that, that there is hope in Him, that there is faith that can be put in Him that is rock solid. Nothing else in this world can offer you and I that. Here's Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, yes, thou sayest. You said it right, truly, truly. And as the leaders of Israel should have known this one thing, that Jesus is Messiah, they missed it. If any people should have recognized him as Savior, it should have been his own, his own people, Israel. They had been looking for thousands of years for hope in the one who would come to deliver them, but they thought that this deliverer would come in a physical manner, to deliver them from Rome. They had thought that this deliverance was one who would be set up in his king as king ruling over them in his kingdom visibly and physically right there. They didn't understand the passage in Isaiah chapter 53 as it says, and as we go back to that text, that the wonderful text there that speaks for prophetically about Jesus Christ. As Messiah would come and be one, who in Isaiah 53 verse 1, "...who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed?" For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Speaking of Christ, this passage speaks prophetically of Jesus in around 700 B.C., before Jesus ever came visibly and physically to this earth as man and as God. It says, he is despised and rejected of men. Here he's being despised, both by his own people and by Rome. No one wants to try Jesus. No one wants to deal with this, uh, what is a death penalty that's upon his head. But God providentially said him there to be despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the Bible says in verse 3, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. There was no halo around Jesus' head. I know some of the movies and pictures that have been painted portray that. There was no halo around His head. The Bible says here that there was no beauty, that there was no comeliness in Him, that when we would see Him, that we would desire Him and say, Oh, look. There's a halo around it. That must be Jesus. No, it was by the very testimony. It was by the Word of God. It was by the miracles and signs that were done by Him that they should have known He was fulfilling all of the prophecies that spoke about Him in the Old Testament, yet they did not. The Bible says in verse 4 in Isaiah 53, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. He did all of this for us, folks. All of the ridicule, all of the trial, all of the mockings, all of the scourging that took place, the beating, the spatting upon, the plucking of His beard, the crown of thorns as we look at next week, the intensity of a crucifixion. It was the most cruel death a person could ever die. The Romans had perfected the death sentence. I mean, we think about it now. We think, how cruel the death sentence? How cruel. But for someone who was genuinely found guilty, it made folks think twice about the fact of going out and stealing, about the fact of going out and committing cold-blooded murder is that it was dealt with right there. A trial, one found guilty in a crucifixion, and you didn't come back. Folks, most people didn't survive the scourging, the beating with the cat of nine tails that took place. Most people died during the lashing with the cat of nine tails, which literally ripped the flesh open, exposed all of the organs of that individual as they were strapped to that post. Most people died before they ever were nailed to that tree. Jesus endured all of this for us. He went through it all so that we could be saved. He did all of this for us. He did all of this to die for sin. The Bible says that here as He stands before this final trial, before the death sentence is passed upon Him, as Pilate didn't find anything worthy of death in Jesus. In fact, we are told that his wife has been troubled by a dream. So troubled that she spoke up and said to Pilate, she said, you better be careful how you deal with this man, Jesus. Because I've been troubled by this dream all throughout the day of this one who is called Jesus so much so There's nothing in him that could be found to prove him guilty. The Bible says in verse 19, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I've suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. We don't know exactly what the dream was, but she knew that Jesus was a just man. The outcome of this was God showed her through that dream that Jesus had done nothing wrong, that Jesus was in fact guilty of nothing more than love. For yes, He is God. And the accusation of the Jews and of the leaders of Israel, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and Pharisees, the chief priests, the accusation was true. He is God. The miracles which He did were by the very finger of God, the power of God. The message that he preached was the word of God that they should have received, but they refused. And they were condemning him to death. Tried, but not guilty. As we see in this passage, Jesus tried, but not guilty. And the Bible says in verse 15, Now at that feast the governor was wont to release into the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Barabbas, the Scriptures tell us in the other gospel accounts that he was a a robber and during that thievery he had murdered someone. Cold-blooded. And that he in prison for these crimes... Also guilty of death, but it was custom for the Romans to deliver one near the Passover, to deliver one free to appease the Jews. That one would die, but one would be set free. And so Pilate puts it before them that there's this prisoner, Barabbas, who is set also beside Jesus, and he puts it under the people. What a good politician! Isn't that so true in our day? What 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 do the do the people want? Now, for the most part here here is this crowd that hated Jesus. Jews, here are his accusers standing here. Here are the ones who hated him and wanted him put to death. Here are the ones who wanted in fact it even says in verse 25, here are the people who stood before this trial and watched and were witnesses as Pilate puts it unto them and says that they want his blood to be on them and on their children. Think about that. How crafty a politician to try and put the judicial order out from underneath himself and say, well, what, what, what do you want? What do the people want? Now, boy, it'd be nice if they would give America that decision. What do we, the people, actually as a whole want? Not the minority want in this country of the laws that are being passed, and the scandalous things, and the ungodly things that we see uh, coming as laws into our country, and sometimes many into the judicial system of even the courts. The Ten Commandments are no longer uphold for the most part in our country. Thank God for those judges and those courts that still uphold uh, the law of this land, but for the most part it's scandalous. Here's Pilate. What do the people in front of me want? Well, they wanted Jesus's head. They wanted Pilate to sentence him to death to crucify him. And they said, let his blood be on us and on our children. And so Pilate puts it before the people trying to sit on the fence, if you will. And I will say this, that God holds all those who are in authority accountable for the decisions that they make. Let them go ahead and try and wash their hands. Let them go ahead and try to say that they had nothing to do uh, with the fact that the ungodly laws that they had put forth uh, of, well, well, this is what this person wants, or this is what this politician wants. And so we did this because of them. Let it be on them, God said, for God will hold them accountable. And I believe that here, Pilate is accountable as he tries to push this off onto the people as he tries to push this off and and let it be said that the Jews were the ones who wanted to crucify him, let it be said that all were guilty parties. Let it also be said that you and I are also guilty. As sinners by our very nature and sinners by choice, folks, we have disobeyed a holy God. And it took the blood of Jesus to provide Payment for our sins so that we could have an opportunity to be saved. So let's go ahead and look into this a little bit. Jesus tried, but not guilty. Pilate says that he puts it unto the people. Which one do you want to release? This robber and murderer, Barabbas or Jesus? The one who calls himself Christ. And verse 18 says, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, we read that verse, his wife sent to him, verse 19, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Notice the uses of the word there, destroy Jesus. It's interesting how in their human Finite minds, they thought that they could destroy the Son of God. See, they thought this would be the end of Him. How little did they know this was the plan of God for the world, that Jesus is standing there to take our punishment, to take our sin, to bear our sin on the cross of Calvary as He's nailed to that cross and shed His blood, willingly to lay down His life for our sin. They thought at the hands of these individuals, they would see him murdered. But there was no murder that took place here, folks. This was a willing sacrifice. Keep that in mind. Jesus willingly laid his life down so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have hope. There's no hope that you'll find in an individual person in this world. Friends and oftentimes family fail us. We fail people as well. Think about maybe the time you failed a friend. or Maybe the time that you failed family. Maybe the time that you failed your wife. And we do that constantly, and that's why we need to be humble, to eat that humble pie, if you will, and to admit the sins and the faults that we commit. And maybe it was a best friend who turned their back on you, but you'll never find Jesus doing that because Jesus said He will never leave us or forsake us. You find a true friend in one who laid down his life for us because he gave his life for his friends, the Bible says. The chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude. Verse 21 says, The governor answered and said unto them these words, Whether the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. They cried out for a robber and a murderer to be released rather than the Son of God. Tried but not guilty. There is no guilt Pilate saith unto them in verse 22, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. Pilate said in Luke 23, 4, I find no fault in this man. Here he's saying that same thing in Matthew. I can't find any fault in him. I find nothing worthy of death. Yes, he says And he claims to be the king of the Jews, but I find nothing worthy to crucify this man. Here is a man who has robbed and murdered in cold-blooded murder, an individual in this thievery. Who do you say that I should release unto you? And they cried out for Barabbas, but yet to crucify Jesus. In verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, But that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see to it. Washed his hands of the whole ordeal. Okay, the people called it. That's what they want. They called it to crucify Jesus. Pilate, as if he has nothing to do with this death sentence, goes and washes his. Isn't that the way it is today? You know, some folks are asking the question, what... What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? But then they go and wash their hands. I want nothing to do with this. This is a heavy matter. This is a weighty matter. What shall then I do with this one who is called Christ? With Jesus. Remember, His name means the Lord our Savior. His name is the same name that comes from the Old Testament book of the Bible that we're studying, Joshua. Joshua. Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord, our Savior. It's an interesting name that a lot of folks still today in other parts of the world that they might name their child Jesus, Jesus. But they are not the Jesus of Nazareth that we're looking at, the Jesus of Scripture. They are not the Lord, our Savior, Jesus, the Christ. There's only one who is Jesus, the Christ. And although the false religions and cults of the world have tried to pervert His name and pervert who He is, there's only one Savior of the world. Don't get mixed up in the ideology today that there are many ways to heaven, folks. There's one way to heaven, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, through belief. And the fact that Jesus died upon the cross and shed His blood for your sin, the fact that Jesus was buried... And that after three days and three nights, Jesus rose from the dead. He raised Himself from the dead and came out of that tomb. And He is the only hope of salvation in this world. Tried but not guilty. You know what Jesus was guilty of? Loving them. He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In all of His anguish, Jesus felt every bit of the mockings, of the beating of the scourging, of the nails that went into His hands and His feet. Jesus felt every bit of the gruesomeness of the crucifixion, of the asphyxiation, if you will, in His own bodily fluids on the cross when He died as man. But Jesus cried out before His death and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was guilty of love. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, these wonderful words that speak about the fact of our Savior's mission of coming to this earth was for one purpose. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, these words, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus left all of heaven's glory to come to this sin-cursed earth, to walk on this earth for approximately 33 and a half years of an earthly life, to die for our sin. That's why he came, to put himself in our shoes, but yet without sin. The Bible says he bore in his body our sin on the tree. That we, through His poverty, might be made rich. That's talking about the spiritual blessings that come with salvation. Folks, if you've not experienced eternal life, if you've not been born again, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. I'm telling you, folks, that Jesus is going to appear. We don't know the day or the hour, but folks, everything is already set up. There's nothing that needs to be fulfilled for Jesus to appear. Just look at the things that are happening. The world is getting ready for the judgment of God, folks. I don't believe the judgment of God is in any way here yet. I believe that God judges sin, but the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon this earth for sin. Read the book of Revelation. And it won't be long as you get into that book, you'll find out that early on in the tribulation, God begins to prepare the earth for His wrath that He's going to pour out for sin. There are going to be things that are going to happen during the tribulation. They're going to be so gruesome because of the sin that has happened, and yet people are still going to turn their backs on God. They're still going to shake their fist in the face of God and blame Him for everything. Here, Jesus is being blamed for being the problem, when yet He is the solution, He is the Savior, He is the deliverer for their sin, and yet He's being blamed. But He is undergoing all of these trials, all of these accusations for one thing. He's going through it to go to the cross and lay down His life for sin because He loves you and I. All of this He did for you. Put your name there. All of this He did for Jim Mitchell. All of this He did. Put your name there. He suffered for you during all of this. Yet without sin, our suffering Savior stands before Pilate and hears an angry crowd yell, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And Pilate then, because of that, washes his hands and says he's not guilty of the blood of Jesus and sends Him out to be scourged and crucified. Tried but not guilty. But there was one thing that they could pin on Jesus. He was guilty of loving All of them and you and I. He loves you today. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Look at that phrase, so loved. There is no greater love anyone could ever know apart from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ, His Son, in a relationship with Him. For God so loved the world that He gave. That's love. Here is God giving His best, His Son, for our sin. The Bible says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That everlasting life is only found when you come to accept Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. We want to give you that opportunity today. I don't know your heart. I don't know your life. I don't know your life, whether it's right with God, whether you've been born again and experienced a second birth. We've all been born once. But to experience a second birth is to be born again spiritually, is to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus, unless you're born again. And Jesus explained to him, but Nicodemus didn't understand. He said, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, no, Nicodemus, I'm talking about you believing and trusting that I am God that I'm the Savior of the world, that I have come to deliver you from sin. Be born again. You have to be born again by the Spirit of God. Only God can convict. Only God can work in a person's life to show them their need of Jesus. In this day in which we live, when people are running rampant to find answers here and there, to find a solution uh, to, to life's problems and, and to uh, an eternity with God, they're looking any way and every way to find out how they're going to get to heaven and how they're going to get to hope uh, with God eternal. But it is only found in a person and in a relationship with that person with Jesus Christ. And God wants that for you today. Jesus suffered all of this for you. Mocked, accused wrongly, beaten, a crown of thorns, Pushed down upon his head into his very skull. The excruciating pain of what our Lord went through for us is, I don't even think, in words that we could be able to describe in a picture, I don't even think a movie in Hollywood could depict a crucifixion properly and what happened to Jesus because the Bible says that he was so marred in the book of Isaiah that his visage would so marred, his face and visage was so marred you couldn't even make out that he was a man. That's how badly beaten and bruised and torn apart Jesus was physically as he was nailed on that cross. You couldn't even make out that it was a man there. That's how bad he suffered. But he did it for you and I. He gave so that we could live. His blood, the Jews said, they wanted it to be on them. How interesting. His blood be on us and on our children. Little did they know that it took His blood that would be applied to the hearts of sinners to save them from sin. They wanted the end of Him. But the end of Him was not His death. It was the beginning of life for them. His death brought life for you and I. His blood brought eternal life that when it is applied to our life, that it was not His final end, it was the beginning for folks to put faith and trust, and it opened the door for people to be saved. That even everyone under the Old Testament would be saved because of Jesus' blood being shed. For even all of the unbelievers in Israel at that time who did not believe He was Messiah... For even all of the Gentiles, thank God, because I can't find a Jewish bone in my body or my family, but I'm a Gentile as far as I know. I'm a a non-Jew. Maybe you are too. That for the Gentile and Jew alike, He would provide salvation for the entire world if they would only come to Him. As we close with our final hymn of invitation, the invitation is simple. If you need Jesus Christ this morning, please do not... Delay, Please come and trust Him this morning as your personal Lord and Savior. Christian, this morning, if you know Christ, don't take lightly that Jesus did all of this, that He suffered for you. Our suffering Savior and what He did for us, we need to be reminded every day. We need to thank God. Thank, thank you, Lord, for what Jesus has done for me. Thank you for the suffering that He gave for me to be free. Salvation is not free, by the way. It's free to you and I, but it costs God everything. Jesus gave His life's blood so that we could be saved. Don't ever take that for granted. And when we do, we need to confess that to God. We need to get right with Him. It's the ultimate sacrifice for sin, the only sacrifice. Sacrifice for sin, the once for all sacrifice for our sin, Jesus in his sufferings. Go back and read that in the coming weeks and all of the gospel accounts because they're wonderful and they give you little insights into the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus from those four different vantage points, if you will, of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they beautifully portray and bring together what our Savior did for us as we remember His resurrection. For that is the climax that our Savior lives. Keep that in mind. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a living Savior. As we turn to our closing hymn, we're going to turn...